Conservative leader Pierre Polyev blasted Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland for jet-setting to speak at the World Economic Forum conference while lecturing Canadians about the climate. An anti-crime group is warning that Canada has become a safe haven for illicit activity by criminal organizations. One in five restaurants in Canada could shut down as the deadline to repay COVID pandemic emergency loans looms. Hello Canada, it's Monday, January 22nd, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Cosman Georgia. And I'm Lindsay Shepard. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. The Conservatives are calling out Christia Freeland for opting to rub elbows with global elites rather than focusing on issues that matter to Canadians. Freeland, Canada's Deputy Prime Minister, was in Davos for the World Economic Forum's 2024 annual meeting. She participated in a panel on trade and, according to her, published itineraries took meetings with business leaders and other participants. In a statement to True North, a conservative spokesperson said Freeland's return to the Swiss Alps is yet more evidence of her high-flying, high-carbon hypocrisy. Instead of focusing on the problems facing Canadians, she has jetted across the globe to rub elbows with global elites and lecture the world on decarbonization, the spokesperson said. In fact, she won't even tell Canadians who she is meeting with in Davos and what the topics of those meetings are. The spokesperson's reference to decarbonization refers to a comment Freeland made on her panel about transitioning away from oil and gas. The implications of decarbonization are debatable, while some advocates like Freeland claim it can be profitable for industry, other leaders see it as antithetical to capitalism. The same day as Freeland's panel, Colombian Environment Minister Susanna Muhammad told World Economic Forum attendees that decarbonization requires a revolution to upend the capitalist system and tolerate another way of living. More exclusive news from True North about the World Economic Forum Summit. We were actually the first to report Freeland's addition to the program. So it's interesting to get Pierre Polyev's response to her being there and exactly what she said. Last night, actually, he also tweeted out a message condemning the Trudeau cabinet's decision to keep sending people to the World Economic Forum. He wrote, Trudeau's cabinet spends a fortune to retreat and talk about the same things they've talked about and failed at doing for eight years. He tweeted yesterday, so the Davos billionaires board their private jets after lecturing the world's working people about heating their homes and driving to work. I will ban all my ministers from any involvement in the World Economic Forum. So, Lindsay, this seems to be a hot topic again. It was one of the major issues that Polyev actually ran on when he was gunning for the leadership. So, from your perspective here in Canada, what did the summit look like to you? Cosman, when I do hear snippets of speeches that come out of the World Economic Forum and, you know, similar conferences, I often just find the speeches themselves quite empty, full of buzzwords and platitudes. Um, so that that's what it would look like for me. But what we do know about the World Economic Forum is that 
Christia Freeland is still on the board of trustees. Um, some people regard that as a kind of conflict of interest because this is a globalist organization. And if you're an elected official in Canada, um, I mean, you would think that you would be a, a patriot or even to some degree a nationalist. And Klaus Schwab, who's the founder of the World Economic Forum, of course, he has that infamous quote where he was talking about the Canadian Parliament and he said, we penetrate the cabinet. I know that half of this cabinet, even more than half, are actually young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. And of course, something also interesting about Christian Freeland being so associated with the World Economic Forum is, of course, in 2012, she wrote that book, Plutocrats, The Rise of the New Global Super Rich and the fall of everyone else and you know you you kind of do think about her psychology like did she write that book because she was super interested in in becoming um an elite like a, one of the wealthiest people in the world uh i know we know that she has real estate holdings around the world like is this what she actually aspires to and that's why she wrote that book um so i think you know there there's some interesting stuff going on here yeah, and unfortunately this year we didn't have the opportunity to question Freeland about her presence there. I think she's wisened up to some of our tactics and chose to maybe take a back entrance or, or stealthily uh, enter into the conference center, which is too bad because I think Canadians have a right to know why she's there and who she's meeting with and what they're discussing. She did mention during her panel talk that she met with a extremely wealthy person who ha is a large investor in Canada. And to anybody watching, th this is literally a lobby meeting. This person is obviously lobbying Christia Freeland for whatever interests, but it's unregistered lobbying. She doesn't have to report this. And that I think that's a big problem for many Canadians beyond just the optics of her being on the board. It's that she can go there and participate in these closed-door meetings with who knows who and potentially make decisions about Canada's economy and investment without any oversight. Well, you mentioned optics, Cosman, and another discussion I saw going on on X is, you know, there was this picture floating around of Christian Freeland, and she's at the World Economic Forum speaking on a panel, and she's wearing a ribbon of Ukraine. So the Ukraine flag ribbon. And, you know, the questions do come up. Okay, how would we feel if it was an Indian or Chinese politician doing this, you know, flaunting their flag or their national symbols of their you know, country of origin, um, when they're an elected official of a different country representing that different country at a global conference. You know what I mean? Because Christia Freeland is Ukrainian. Um, she owns a house in Kiev. And here she is, yeah, at this globalist conference. Um, even though she's an elected official of Canada, the deputy prime minister, in fact, she seems to look like a representative of Ukraine. And sometimes I even think like, you know, we've, we're funneling so much money to the Ukraine situation. Um, and it just so happens our deputy prime minister is has really close ties there. And again, the question comes up, how would we feel if our deputy prime minister was Chinese and funneling a lot of money to China? The International Coalition Against Illicit Economies, the ICAIE, published a report that referred to Canada as a safe haven 
and an international hub for crime organizations to thrive in the country's booming market for illicit trade. Canada has become a safe zone for the world's most notorious crime groups and threat networks that are harming Canada's national security and imperiling the security of other nations, reads the report. Items most commonly trafficked in Canada's booming illicit economy are fentanyl and fake pharmaceuticals, but there is also a growing market of illegal alcohol and cross-border money laundering. Tens of billions are laundered annually through Canada from the proceeds of human trafficking and the sale of illegal drugs and weapons, according to the report. The report also noted that Canada is increasingly becoming the new destination for multinational crime syndicates to set up shop. Canada's biker gangs buy drugs like cocaine and methamphetamine off of Mexican cartels via help from Chinese and Iranian criminal networks. The smuggling of drugs into BC is facilitated in particular by Chinese syndicates. The report alleges that the proliferation of crime throughout Canada is the result of Canadian governments and law enforcement agencies at every level holding a historic dismissal of transnational crime. Cosman, there's been so much focus on international students from India lately and the kind of scam colleges and fraud in that regard that I think people have forgotten about, yeah, these drug networks in you know, what is largely casinos in Vancouver, facilitated by the Chinese. Yeah, not only the Chinese, but I think the incursion of foreign gangs is a huge problem. You see it with things like human trafficking, especially the drug trade. Uh, the Mexican cartels have actually taken over some element of the fentanyl trade in North America. So um, before it was pretty much dominated by the Chinese, but uh, we put out a report think last year showing that Mexican cartels have moved in and are shipping deadly opioids into the country. And not only that, Cosman, but there was this strange letter that was going around in December of last year um, in Abbotsford and Surrey, BC, and businesses that were, you know, Indian run were getting letters saying, we are Indian gang members, we want the protection money. And, and it was just this very weird letter with lots of misspellings. Um, they're asking for two million in cash or we might go to our people in India. So it appears there's, yeah, some, some more gang activity or what they purport to be gang activity um, with these extortion letters. I think what makes Canada so alluring for these international criminal organizations is the fact that police can't seem to keep up. The laws in place uh, are not harsh enough. When they do get caught, the sentences passed on are often very light. And the government doesn't take the issue with the seriousness it deserves. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Canada's restaurant industry is poised to receive yet another financial blow as the deadline to repay the Canada Emergency Business Account comes this week. The deadline comes after four years of diminished clientele as consumers continue to struggle financially. The effects of aggressive interest rate increases have not yet been fully felt by consumers directly nor by the economy as a whole said DBRS Morningstar, a global credit rating agency, in its 2024 Restaurant Outlook report released on Wednesday. The agency is predicting moderate potential improvements for restaurants by the end of the year, but said that remains contingent on how interest rate shifts affect consumer behavior. Globally, the number of consumers dining out dropped dramatically in 2023, decreasing by low single digits on a monthly basis consistently year over year since the pandemic. Just over half of Canadian restaurants, 53%, are now operating at a loss or barely breaking even, according to DBRS Morningstar. Whereas before the pandemic, that number held steady at a rate of about 10%. Now restaurants are faced with the challenge of repaying their SIBA loans, by January 18. The Canadian Federation of Independent Business predicts this will result in a 50% increase in pandemic debt, as many of these businesses will be unable to repay their loans. So from my understanding, the restaurant business has always been a tough business to be in. Obviously, it's impacted by the fluctuation of the economy like everybody else, but there are several other elements at play that I wonder if actually are contributing to this. Those include things like people just switching to delivery services instead of actually going into a restaurant. I think when you order delivery, you're, you're less prone to just like keep adding things onto your bill like you would at a restaurant. So the market is changing. And I don't know about you, Lindsay, but I've actually noticed the service uh, getting worse at restaurants and, and food places in general. Uh, I'm not sure if that's just caused by fewer people willing to take on these jobs and the people who do take them on. They're not necessarily the best fit. But what do you sense when you look at these numbers, Lindsay? Cosman, when we're talking about the SIBA, the Canada Emergency Business Account Loans, we're talking about a lockdown measure. So this does go back to the pandemic. And there are two things to bring up here. One is that during the pandemic lockdowns, we experienced tip creep. So people felt sorry for the what we called frontline workers at the restaurants, that they had to be more exposed to germs or what have you. So whereas typically, I think before most people would argue you don't have to tip when you get takeout, you can, but it's not expected. But now it kind of has become expected. And whereas tip options used to kind of be like 15, 18, 20, um, now it seems the minimum has moved up to 18 during the lockdown. So now it's more like 18, 20, 25. Those would be the default options. And I guess for me, it's hard to muster sympathy for restaurants that would not allow unvaccinated people on their premises. Um, you know, like we didn't, we, we hardly saw any restaurants standing up for the unvaccinated and saying, actually, yeah, we do want their business. And of course, let's let's remember the whole thing with restaurants. 
uh, even before the vaccine mandates was you have to wear a mask when you walk in, but then the minute you sit down, you can take it off. Like, let's not forget the ridiculousness of that. And so we didn't see any pushback. And so for me, yeah, it is hard to muster sympathy. Um, One restaurant that we went to during the mandates was the Yellow Deli, and they have locations across Canada. And yes, it's operated by what some people call a cult, the 12 tribes. I'm aware. Um, I still like the Yellow Deli. And during the mandate period, they put up a sign outside their door saying that they won't discriminate. And so they changed the way that they ran the restaurant during the mandate. So whereas before it was a typical restaurant where you sit down and you're served by a waiter, they changed it during the mandate period so that you order at the counter and then they bring it to you. That was the way to get around the mandate, uh, which said you no sit-down service, you know, unvaccinated people are not allowed to participate in that. And, you know, eventually that was lifted and now they're they're back to the way that they did things before. But we went to the Yellow Deli recently, Cosman, and it just felt good to support a business that stood up for people's rights during that time. Um, so my point here is, is that most restaurants didn't. That's it for today, folks. Make sure to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. Also, please keep an eye out for The Andrew Lawton Show and Ratioed with Harrison Faulkner later today. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to share our work with your friends and neighbors. And if able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. 